Well, good to see you again tonight, and uh, thank you for coming. Now, we're going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this evening. It's quite a long chapter, but this is the chapter that's going to be our focus this evening, so we'll read it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and reading from verse 1 now. Concerning spiritual gifts... Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him, and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honourable, upon these we bestow more abundant honour, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honour to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. And we know that God will bless his word. Now, having laid down on Monday night a foundation and looked at grammar basics with five words, and last night comparing the two upper rooms in Jerusalem and Troas to see the assembly in embryo and then the assembly by example, uh, tonight we want to look at, uh, I think I give the title, Gifted Students Fulfilling Our Potential, and uh, it will not be hard to see that what we have in mind is the subject of gift. Now, very simply, I want to divide really the chapter into uh, three and what I have to say. I want to think, first of all, really, I want to think of this round a number of questions. Questions that uh, most likely young people will ask, uh, newly saved perhaps, and you have questions in your mind about uh, the subject of gift. Admittedly, it's not the most uh, simple subject in many uh, respects and uh, yet it's vital, and that is the word I want to include in the first uh, heading, a vital spiritual discovery. 
Uh, and really the question on my mind is, have I a gift? Then we'll think secondly of the voice of spiritual diversity. And in that we're thinking, really, well, what is my gift? Thirdly, then, we'll think of a venue for spiritual development. And it will not be hard to know that that will be uh, looking just at the local assembly, the place where God would have us develop our gift. So I often wonder, and the question has been asked, it's not original with me, but if everyone in the assembly was like me, well, what sort of an assembly would it be? Interesting question, isn't it? Well, uh, certainly if everyone was in the assembly like me, I could think of certain things straight away that would certainly not be very beneficial. Number one, I think I wouldn't uh, be too many people remember each other's names because uh, that would be my uh, one of my weaknesses amongst many other things. And you can immediately start to think of your weaknesses uh, and well, strengths perhaps as well. Uh, but God is not a God where everyone is the same. He, he has designed this word that we have here in chapter 12, diversity. Diversity. That's a word a lot of people are afraid of in 2020, isn't it? It's, it's a word that is very much uh, associated with political correctness and so on. And we must be very... Uh, careful about diversity and it's linked very much with equality and the danger of inferiority and inequality. Well, when it comes to the assembly, we can rest assured that we don't need to worry about inequality when it comes to diversity. Uh, the diversity that we're going to see in the assembly is something of beauty and it's been designed by God and he has placed the members in the body with diversity. But first of all, before we just think of the diversity, then let us think of this vital spiritual discovery. Because when we are thinking of diversity in this chapter, we're thinking of it on a spiritual plane. And that's why the apostle begins right away now concerning spiritual gifts. Now, if you have a Bible that gives you uh, words in italics, you'll see that the word gifts is not in the original text. And really, the, the word spiritual is in plural. So we could read it something like this now concerning spiritualities. Now, that's important as we come to 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, because as you know, 1 Corinthians, the first 11 chapters have been dealing with problems that are carnal, carnal problems. And we could enumerate the various problems that he has dealt with in the assembly at Corinth, from the divisions to fornication, idolatry, uh, issues with the Lord. So, and they're carnal problems, they're love feasts in chapters 1 to 11. But here now from chapter 12 to 14, he's going to deal with something that will, will give spiritual progress. You know, that's the one thing about the apostle. He does deal with the issues and the problems, but he doesn't leave them there. He, he deals then with doctrine that is designed to build up and to edify. And that's the purpose of these meetings, isn't it, brethren and sisters? And it should be the purpose of all our teaching that is designed to build. Yes, we have to deal with the issues at times. And I trust that we do it in a spirit of love. But it should and should be ministry that is designed to build up and edify. And that's the whole point of this chapter, chapter 12, with 13 and 14. And it is that when we really discover this blessed truth of gift and the spiritualities, it should, it should be something that should build us up, bring us together. And the purpose, as we read in the chapter, that is, uh, down just there in verse number 25, that there should be no schism or division in the body. Now that's his objective in dealing with this truth. And it's my purpose as well, that as we look at this tonight, it's not to give us inflated ideas of our abilities and what we can do, far from it. 
It's just that we might all come together and realize that we're all necessary. We have to work at this together. And there's no one person that the assembly can't do without. But equally, there's no one person that, is, that, that it all centers around and no one-man ministry, as we will see. So this is designed to, 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 to bond us together as we see that everyone has got something to do and everyone is necessary. And that's really the objective. So these are spiritualities. And there's another word, really, that's put in there, gifts. And it's used throughout the chapter. And if you have been learning any Greek words, you will know uh, that this is the word charisma. And that's interesting because it's a word that is very associated with the Greek word for grace, charis. And so when we're thinking of gift, we're, we're thinking really of something that is linked to the grace of God. Uh, and one of the problems at Corinth was there was an abuse of gift. Uh, and what we are going to look at this evening in terms of have I a gift well, at Corinth, it wasn't so much, have I a gift? It was that they wanted the best gifts, and they wanted the most showy gifts. And they wanted, really, to have a public display that people would say, well, look at him. Now, we want to avoid that this evening. That's not what we're here to think about. But when we think of the word gift, we will, we will not be looking at ourselves. But actually, within that word gift, it's the grace of God. It's what God has given us. It's what God allows us to do. Through the Holy Spirit, it's what God fits us to do. It's what God enables us to do. And we'll see that that's very critical when it comes to uh, the three passages that uh, deal with gift in our New Testament. Now, with that in view... I also want you to notice just those words at the end of verse 1. Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now we could just read over that. But that's actually a phrase, as you know in Corinthians, that is worth tracing through. I would not have you be ignorant, brethren. In other words, he does not want them to be unclear about what he is about to deal with. Now, now that's, that's something that, this is a, a subject that we need to be clear on. Because as you know, there is mass confusion when it comes to uh, the charisma and the charismatic movement. And I would judge that maybe some of this ministry tonight is also of a preservative nature. Because there have been companies of believers well taught, but have come under attack from just one or two who have sought to indulge in uh, wrong doctrine when it comes to the subject of gift. So he doesn't want them to be ignorant. You could have a little series on that, uh, just that phrase and all the subjects, and you can look into it. But this is some, another thing is I hear sometimes people say things that are actually, when you look at this chapter, well, we shouldn't say them. For example, sometimes you'll hear someone say, you know, I'm not gifted. I don't have a gift. And I'm useless. Well, I trust by the end of this meeting tonight, you'll see that that's, that's, that's ignorance of the subject. It's not that we all go around shouting about our gift or anything like that, but we, mustn't, we must be careful that we don't go down the route where we say things like that and it's nearly an opt-out clause. Sometimes that's the case. People say, I'm not gifted, you know, and I'll just leave it to those who are gifted and I'll not bother coming to the meeting and I'll not bother doing that and I'll not do this. And it's an opt-out clause. But listen, when we come to the truth further down of the body, we'll see that there's no member of your body that can opt out. No, there's no opt-out clause here. And therefore, when we think of the question, have I a gift? Well, let's go back to, to salvation. Romans 6 and 23, we have this word actually in regard to eternal life. 
Verse we're all familiar with. The wages of sin is death. But the gift, charisma, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, is there anyone here who is saved would be in any doubt as to the fact that God has given them the gift of eternal life. Well, you wouldn't be saved if you didn't have it. Because we know and we rejoice in this glorious fact that eternal life, that gift, that free gift that God has given us, is that which has rendered us righteous in God's sight. It is that which has given us salvation. It is that which has brought reconciliation. And so it's precious to think of the gift of God, which is eternal life. Romans 8 and 9, Acts chapter 2. Another thing that we have received is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The moment that we were saved. I judge Romans 8 and 9 is the proof text for that. Every young person learn it. The very proof text that the moment we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit. If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So there's no receiving of the Spirit a few weeks later. No, we received the Holy Spirit, the gift. Now, with the Holy Spirit, what did we receive? Let's just just focus on this, because we're going to see that we're dealing with spiritualities. So we must see the great link with regard to gifts and the Holy Spirit. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we're thinking of a person. We're thinking of power, authority. And we're also thinking of purpose. It is that person of the Holy Spirit that gives us the power. It gives us the motivation and the energy and the purpose. What to do? To serve God for his glory. Now that's gift. That is, God has given us, through the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the power and the ability and the facility in order to serve God for his glory. That is seen in verse 5, 6, and 7 of this chapter, where there is one Spirit, but there is a diversity in ability, but it's spiritual ability. A diversity in activity, but it's from the one spirit. It's spiritual activity. And in verse 7, the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So therefore, there will be a diversity in productivity. Now that is encompassing really what spiritual gift is. You see, it would be very premature to think that A spiritual gift is just like something you get at Christmas, a a little gift from God all wrapped up. As people think that's what a gift is. And you take a little peek beneath the wrapping paper, and if you like what you see, well then you'll say, I'll have this, and I'll use that. And if you don't, you send it back. That's not the way spiritual gifts. We're talking about something much deeper and greater than that. We're thinking of a person who is saved and that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and thereby has got the ability to indulge and engage in activity for God according to his word, his will, and that activity will be seen in productivity, i.e. the gifts of the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and it will be manifest. Now note that word, manifestation, because that's very important when we come further down to think of the body. When we're thinking of a body, we're thinking of something that is manifest. So when we're thinking of gift, we're thinking of spiritual manifestation. In other words, we're seeing the evidence of the Holy Spirit within each believer. You remember... Paul writing to Timothy just to prove the point and make the link. He says, great is the mystery of godliness, God manifest in human flesh. You see, God is manifest in a body. And therefore, we are seeing that when it comes to the spiritual gifts, the grace that God has given us to engage in spiritual activity for him, It is a spiritual, God-given ability. 
that produces spiritually God-guided activity and therefore it will be seen in the spiritual productivity that is manifest in a believer. Now, that is manifest in two ways according to Paul here. Because he says, I would give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. No man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So in other words, indwelt by the Holy Spirit will be evidence in our spiritual voice in how we speak of Christ as Lord. And it will also be seen in our spiritual labor and the value of that in what I do. Now that's critical. In fact, I would say this whole chapter hinges on a person and their confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and their desire to work that out practically in their spiritual lives. That's where this chapter hinges. So that it's not just so much asking as we see, what is my gift? But it's actually asking, what wilt thou have me to do? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, do you see that? In other words, it's, now notice what it doesn't say. That no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. It would be possible to take those words upon your lips. But this is now something that has been worked out in activity. And therefore, it hinges on the will of God, or could I say, the will of the Lord. And that is spiritual, it is not natural. Now, we make that distinction. In other words, we are not talking here about some sort of sanctified natural ability. I have seen brethren and I have seen sisters who are naturally, naturally have an ability, maybe in business, maybe in the workplace, maybe in speaking. And yet when it comes to spiritual things, they are maybe not publicly gifted. Now, vice versa. A brother who has maybe no confidence as far as naturally speaking is concerned. Not somebody who would push himself forward in a room. He's not the life and soul of the gathering. And yet God fits him to stand and to preach the gospel. And you could be of no doubt only that it is a spiritual ability. So that should keep us all just in place with regard to our natural ability. And we must therefore be very careful in promoting someone because they have a natural ability and thinking that that will automatically qualify them for the service of God. It doesn't. Why? Because the person and the individual must be aware of and must work out what is the will of God for them. Now, they're not left to do that alone, as we're going to see. So you have a spiritual voice, Lord, spiritual value, because there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. So, have I a gift? Yes. Every single person who is saved receives the grace of God in a way that is able to manifest itself in a spiritual ability that is manifested in spiritual activity and should therefore manifest and show itself in spiritual productivity. I am quite happy to say that the scriptures teach that that is supernatural. In this respect, it is not natural ability. And when you look at some of the sign gifts, well, they definitely 
were supernatural in relation to uh, tongues and interpretation and so on. And we will see that those gifts are not uh, in operation today. So the vital spiritual discovery for every uh, young believer, and by that I mean young in the faith, is to realize that God has equipped me fully to obey his word and to do his will. And to remember, that's why it's important that I am fully available to God in everything that I do. Now you say, well, what is my gift? What is, what, what is, what is it that I have to do? Well, when we come to this, this subject of gifts, it's probably worth just pointing out that there are, there are three categories of gifts as you look through your New Testament, or three classes of gifts. Number one, there is what we might call revelatory gifts. And those really ceased when uh, the Bible was complete. The canon of Scripture was complete. Remember you thought of, I think, last night in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul said, I received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you. There was a distinct revelation that he got of the Lord's Supper. Now that ceased to be when the Scriptures were completed. And therefore, someone that you meet on the street that says, well, I had a vision and God said to me something in that vision. Something that is beyond scripture. Well, you can be sure that it's not of God. Because anything that anyone receives will only be what is already found in scripture. So if you have a little dream some night uh, and God impresses something upon you, well, that's all very well. But you can be absolutely sure that he's not going to reveal anything more to you than he already has revealed in his word. Revelatory gifts. Then there's confirmatory gifts. What were they? Well, those were really the signs to unbelieving Israel. And that would include, uh, for instance, Tongues, the one that is, uh, it seems to be the one that everybody wants. Well, that ceased, of course, number one, when Israel uh, rejected the gospel and when the apostles ceased to be. That fizzled out. And we've no question about that, and yet we must be 100% clear on it. Now, maybe a verse that's helpful just in seeing that, uh, a verse that's maybe helpful to have just at your fingertips, is 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. What does it say there? Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So there's the, the title, Signs of the Apostles. In other words, those gifts were there as a signpost not only to unbelieving Israel, but they were there to authenticate the ministry of the apostles so that people knew who they were and that they were true. That's why you will find, especially in many of the large, very hyper-charismatic and Pentecostal churches, uh, we see it very often in London uh, back home, they will advertise their meetings and their gatherings on a billboard. And in advertising, they will, they will often say that the speaker is apostle so-and-so. Now, why is that the case? Because apostle so-and-so is going to get up and speak in tongues, according to their gibberish and misunderstanding of what tongues is. But nonetheless, they understand this, that if they're going to have tongues in operation, they also need apostles. Now, of course, we know that as tongues ceased with apostles, that was very important because if there was still a manifestation of tongues today, well, then we wouldn't know who were the apostles and who weren't. And we wouldn't know what was Scripture and what wasn't. So there was a very important authentication that took place with those sign gifts. But it's essential to see just where they stopped and to see what they were as well, and that is in relation to tongues, of course, uh, the speaking in a foreign language and the ability to interpret that on the hearer's part. So that's the confirmatory gifts. Then there are what we might call the contemporary gifts, and uh, that is really 
the gifts that concern us today. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit with a full canon of Scripture. And therefore, that's the basis on which we move forward. So three categories. Then there are three primary chapters. Now, most of you will know this, but I'm thinking of younger people maybe looking at this for the first time. It's important that you get a grasp of those three chapters. Ephesians chapter 2 and Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, the chapter we're in. Now, why is that the case? Because you see just a distinction in each of those chapters. Distinction number one is in who gave the gifts. So in Ephesians chapter 2, it is Christ. Because we are speaking of the one who ascended up on high, led captivity captive, and it's Christ who gives the gifts unto men, unto the body. In Romans 12, it's not so much Christ that gave the gifts as God who gives. Whereas in 1 Corinthians 12, it's the Spirit. In Romans 12, we're thinking of the power. In Ephesians 2, it's the persons. The gifts are the persons themselves. That is the evangelist and the prophet and the teacher and so on. But here in 1 Corinthians 12, it's the practical diversity that is in view. Important to bring them all together and to see this. That God is involved and is the originator of the gifts. It's not you and I. And that's why when it comes to the assembly, we emphasize over and over again that it is the assembly of God. And as we shall see, that is the forum, that is the venue where God would have believers and those who are saved and baptized to gather together. That is the venue where we would develop the gift and where we would move out with gift because it is the assembly of God. And the gifts given by Christ, by God, and the Holy Spirit. Now you say, well, how would I know which, how would I know what gift I have? You say, that's all very well. You look at all those lists of gifts. Some of them are ceased to be in operation. But how would I know which one I had and what I had to do? Well, I want to give you just three, uh, three guidelines Uh, that would be a help in trying to establish just what you might be doing for God. Now that's really for you to find out. It's not that you're going to go away tonight and I tell you that you're going to be a preacher and I tell you that you're going to be an evangelist or anything like that. But what I'm trying to do is that we don't don't get sidetracked in areas of Christian service that God never intended us to be in. Because I don't believe that God would guide us into wrong paths. And if we're asking, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That he's just going to send us out. And we try this, and we try that, and we try that. And if we're not good at that, well, we'll try. If we're not good at that, we'll have a go at that. Now, that's not the way we, we, we try to establish what we're doing for God. But I will say this before I look at these three points. There is much that we can do and should be doing that we do not need any, could I say, special ability in order to do it, that we all can be engaged in. For instance, prayer in the assembly, worship. Those are things that God expects us to be doing. Those are things that God expects us to be involved in at the meetings. Just there, functioning in his service. And when it comes to, for instance, let's just take the gift of an evangelist. Now, not everybody may be fitted just to do and to be an evangelist. However, Paul does write to Timothy, exhorts him to do the work of an evangelist. So therefore, just because you don't have the God-given ability 
to do a certain aspect of service doesn't mean that you don't have anything to do with it whatsoever. So you see, we're not just putting things in watertight compartments here. In other words, you may not be the person who stands out on the street and preaches the gospel, but you could be the person who stands and gives out a tract. All equally important, I do add. And therefore, when it comes to the work of God, I say, get involved, young people, in God's work, in the assembly. And the first thing that I would say then, number one is this, we must start with the scriptures. Now, had we looked at those lists of gifts, well, we're going to come to the conclusion very quickly that there are clearly those gifts that I don't have and will never have. So, for example, tongues, the gift of healing. And yet when we read 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, while I might not have the gift of tongues, the discerning of spirits further up the chapter, did it ever occur to you that just right down there in verse 28, just after the gifts of healings, it mentions helps. Helps. What you say helps. That's not very exciting. You say, Here, I'm going to go from this meeting tonight and all that I have to do is to be a help. Yes. You see, that's why we need to be just maybe a little bit careful when we ask the question, what is my gift? What am I to do? Because God knows the motivation as to why I'm asking that. The danger is that I could just be like the Corinthians. And I'm asking it because I want to find out, have I got something that's going to be a show? And if I don't, I'll not be interested. And in a few weeks, I'll hardly be seen at any of the meetings. You see, that's, that's where the Corinthians were. And, and there's not one of us that there's not that within us, brethren and sisters. The speaker included, there's not one of us that just, because we live in a world that likes the spectacle. We live in a world that likes the show, that likes the big thing. But when it comes to scripture, would it be that I could just be a help? What about Romans chapter 16? Where, where do we find there? We find a, a couple who were a help. I wonder, is there a Priscilla and Aquila here tonight? Do you know what Paul said of them? They were my fellow helpers. And do you know what they were prepared to do? He says they were prepared to lay down their necks, put their life on the line for my service. Helpers. Priscilla and Aquila. It's witty, isn't it, brethren and sisters? To think just of helpers. Number two, number one scripture. Number two, in finding out what I'm to do, is just engaging in service. You see, as I engage in his service, it will be according to his word. I will find out his will. And according to doing his will, I will be involved in work. That's why it says do the work of an evangelist. Now, you're never going to find out what God wants you to be doing if you're not prepared to work. Says Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, for we are all laborers together for God. Well, there's work to be done. I planted, he says, Apollos watered, God who gave the increase. And so get involved in the work. And as you engage in service for God in the assembly and moving out from the assembly, whether it's in the workplace, at school and at college, as you engage in that, God will open the doors and the opportunities that allow you to serve according to his will. And so let's return to the evangelist. You know, you're never going to find out if God has fitted you to do evangelism 
if you're not prepared to put a few tracks in your pocket before you go out each day, did you ever try that? Did you ever say to yourself, I'm just going to take five tracks with me today and I'm going to pray to God in the morning that he'll give me opportunity just to reach some soul today. And you know you'll be surprised just what God opens up for you. And the doors that he opens. Just because you're engaging in service, just because like Saul on the Damascus road, you're prepared to say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Oh yes, he was a chosen vessel to preach the gospel. He didn't know that when he asked that question. Mind you, if he had found out everything that he was going to go through in his service, I wonder would he have asked it. You see, there's an aspect of faith in everything that we do. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. And therefore, like a, a, a Gideon that was, that was prepared to go out to battle, he was going to have to have his faith strengthened. He just didn't get it all at once. No, he wanted just a little bit of confirmation. And God would give him the confirmation. And then God would ask him to do a little bit more. Until finally he was fit to lead those 300 men just into the battle. And therefore it is that God would have us grow in service. Number three. The third aspect of developing our service, especially for young believers, is not only the scriptures, not only our own exercise in service individually, but it's the saints. You say, how do you get to that conclusion? Well, listen to what Paul says to Timothy. Two specific verses. He says, stir up the gift of God that is within thee. What's that? That's recognition. He recognized that there was gift. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to stir up this young man. The word there is actually to kindle, to light a flame, to stir up. And so it is. Brethren and sisters, that we need to, to help each other in this respect. And so it is when you recognize a, a brother or a sister that has an ability and a gift, encourage them in it. Don't be afraid to praise people. Sometimes we're afraid just to praise people in case, in case we might not get any praise and have nothing to do. Mind you, if you see a young brother and he has ability in something that's God-given, you encourage him. And you also try and involve him in a line of service in where he can develop. That's why it's so important with young and old going together. I give God so much thanks for older brethren who took me. Maybe on a Sunday night just to preach. And they were able to, to just correct you on certain, certain things. And they did it constructively. And equally with sisters. There's so much that a sister can do. And I have seen in gospel meetings very often a particular ability, and I feel it is God-given in many cases, that sisters have. I have noticed in gospel meetings that very often it's the sisters who will bring people. Who just have that ability to draw alongside people and to be able to invite them and to bring them along to hear the gospel. I tell you, if you have sisters in your assembly that can do that, brethren, you encourage them and you praise them and you thank them for the work that they're doing and for putting sometimes their job even on the line to do it. And so we need the saints to encourage. He says, stir up the gift of God that is within thee. Therefore, I do think just reading that, that this is something that is within, that God has placed in an ability that will manifest. You see, then he says to him in another verse, he says, neglect not the gift that is in thee. So we're not thinking now just so much of recognition, but we're thinking then on the part of Timothy of responsibility. Now, I could... I could, I could say to a young brother, perhaps, who, who I see has ability, and, and we, we do try and encourage others at times, and maybe put a bit of time into working with somebody and trying to encourage them. But you can only go so far 
in doing that. In the recognition and the encouragement, then it's down to the individual to work at it. There's a responsibility that falls upon us all to develop for God. And so what does he say? Just after that, 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, he says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting might appear to all. Now listen, if you're in the thing seriously, and you're willing and wanting to work and involved in it, it'll appear. Your profiting will appear to all. You don't need to go about shouting, I'm gifted, and I can do that, and I can do this. That's not the spirit of the person who is developing. No, they'll do it. Why? Because the first person that you want to seek approval from is God. You see, this. it says this, study to show thyself approved. Unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Young men tonight, how much time have you spent in your Bible this week? Oh, I know you've got ability. I know God has fitted this assembly in Midland Park with the ability, talent, whatever word you might want to put upon it. But remember this, unless the work is put in and the hours are put in, it will never manifest and it will be of no profit and will not edify the company. You see, you could take a concert pianist and you could say to him, my, I enjoyed that symphony, Rachmaninoff. He, it looks as if he just played it by ear. Not a note in front. But he's gifted. But you and I know, if we were to talk to that musician, we know the nine to ten hours per day over years and years that has been put in to develop. And it's the same in spiritual things, brethren and sisters. We cannot be something for God if there's not going to be sacrifice. Because in Romans 12, that chapter that deals with gift, how does it begin? I beseech thee by the mercies of God that you present your body as living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he deals with gift. You see how important it is that we don't neglect, how sad it is to neglect. You know, sometimes... Maybe I'm speaking to somebody tonight and you have neglected things. Maybe there's just been years of barrenness. Business has taken over. The workplace. In the home. The family. There's so many reasons. And I don't want to be critical. But maybe just tonight you're going to make a decision. This Wednesday night. Nobody else will know in the meeting. From this Wednesday night, it's all for God. That doesn't mean you're going to go in and hand in your notice tomorrow morning. I'm not talking anything like that. I'm just saying that you're prepared to give it all to God. It's what he would have me to do. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Neglect not the gift that is within thee. Now, you say, well, everybody can't be doing everything. No. Where is this all to be worked out? Well, I want to think just for a few minutes of the venue for spiritual diversity. Because God has a place for every young believer who's saved to develop. Where is it? You say, well, I, haven't, I can't afford the fees for a seminary or a Bible college. Well, that's not what's in my mind. No. I'm thankful as far as this venue for spiritual development is concerned, the price has already been paid. It's a place that everybody can be. It's a place that everybody should be. It's the Ecclesia. We've been at it now. We're on the third night. It's the only place. It's the place where God would have every young believer develop spiritually. 
surrounded by like-minded believers. Why? Because the fellowship coming from the doctrine is going to be manifest in the practices and in everything that takes place. And as we pointed out, even though the assembly is not always physically gathered in a meeting, it exists for his glory. And you're as much part of it just in the workplace as you are as you come to the meeting tonight. And that's why even in pioneer work with the gospel, going out into areas where there is no assembly testimony, it is that you're going out with the fellowship of the assembly. Why? Because you need those people to surround you and support you. I tell you, just a few months ago, we had meetings just in a little village hall in the middle of the Cotswolds. 45 minutes from the assembly. Not another assembly around us. First night, there was nobody come in. Mind you, I was mighty glad of the saints that travelled up from the assembly in Bicester and, and came and gathered. Next night, nobody in. Third night, a couple of people in. I was glad of the support and the fellowship. We needed it. Driving home perhaps discouraged. Feeling like giving up. Have you ever felt like that in your Christian experience? That's why we need the saints. And that place is the assembly. And he says, I'm going to describe to you just for a few minutes. I want you to get a picture of what this place should be like. And he says, I'm going to use the picture of a body to do it. And there's two lessons as we think of this body. Number one, diversity and yet unity. Now, it's quite difficult sometimes reading down 1 Corinthians 12 just to establish when he's talking about the body of Christ. Now, I don't have time to just to, to point out the exact order, but just take it from me that he deals with both. He says, we are baptized into one body. Now, that baptism took place at Pentecost. That was the baptism of the church into one body. Every one of us who are saved come into the good of that baptism the moment we are saved. We are added to the body of Christ. We've learned that already this week. But then he moves to the local assembly as he's writing to saints in a local assembly at Corinth. And he says now the local assembly is, is not the body of Christ. But he's now saying the local assembly is like a human body. So he's giving us the picture of a human body. Now we know that it's a human body being pictured here like the local assembly because he speaks, for instance, as the head, as a member. He's not thinking of the head as being Christ. That would be the body of Christ. But now he's thinking of the assembly like a body, like a human body. Now what's we going to learn from that? Well, as I say, there's two things. There's diversity and there's unity. You know, this is the one, I suppose, area of ministry where the object lesson is right before you on the platform. And that is, here I am standing before you and I'm a body. And I'm diverse. You can see that in the members. And yet, as I walk about, there's a unity. I'm all one. And when I walk from one side of the platform, I don't leave a hand or a leg at the other side. That's very obvious. There's a unity. Now, this is the simplicity of this picture that the apostle is using. And I think it's wonderful because that's the, the simplicity that we need to get to, brethren and sisters, just in thinking of what the assembly is. And it's universal. No matter where you go, everybody knows what a body is and what it looks like. Now, he said there's a number of things that I just want you to notice about this. And the first thing is just this. You see, when it comes to uh, the members of the body, this body has a voice. We're going to listen just for a few moments. And he says, just imagine that the hand, he says, I am, if the foot says, I am not of the hand, I am not of the body. So here's, just let's think of this, of this, uh, this hand. And let's think of this foot. Just think of them as a brother in the assembly for a moment. Just let your imagination run a little bit. Now what, what's going to be said? Brother foot. He looks at brother hand. He says, you know, nobody really pays any attention to me. 
Everybody meets the hand, brother hand. He's always doing things. In fact, people trample over me and I'm really not much use. And you know, I really feel so useless. I'm not going to be bother coming because I'm not really, don't feel part of it. And then we come to a sister. We'll not leave the sisters out. What is she? Well, she's an eye and an ear. And if the ear shall say, because I am not of the eye, I am not of the body. And so, dear sister ear, she, she's at the side of the head. And nobody ever admires me. And look at the eye. She sees everything. And she's involved in everything and knows all that's going on. And I'm just the ear and I am really of no use. And therefore, I just feel like giving up and really not being part of the thing. Now listen. Lesson here. Just because you absolve yourself from responsibility and refuse to work and refuse to do your bit and say, I'm not going to be and I don't want to be part of it, that doesn't absolve you from the responsibility that you have in relation to the body. Now it doesn't. No matter what part of the body you are, you have a responsibility. And there should be no thought of inferiority or superiority. Why? Because God has set the members in the body and they're all absolutely necessary. And what does the Lord say to the Seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Let he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit hath to say to the churches. I tell you, the ear is absolutely necessary. And the eye is absolutely necessary. And as the hand is necessary, so is the foot. And though it is that the hand is the one who gives out the tracks, were it not for the fact that the old feet stood in the puddles while he did it, the whole thing would be useless. You see, that's what we, we must remember. Uh, uh, my hand, I would like to shake hands with you all at the end of the meeting at the back of the hall, but as much as my hand would want to go to the back of the hall and shake hands with everybody, it couldn't do it without my feet taking me down the hall. Listen, brethren and sisters, the outcome of this is very serious. What does he go on to say? Every member is needed. Verses 18 to 21. What does he say here? And if they were all one member, where would the body? That's what I began with. If everybody is in the assembly was like me, what sort of an assembly would it be? No, the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. We cannot do it, brethren and sisters. We cannot look at a member of the body that is weak, he is going to say. What about those that are feeble? Verse 22, they are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honourable, upon those we bestow much abundant honour. He's thinking here even in the language of parts of the body that will be clothed and covered. Oh, they're not very attractive and they're covered up, but they're still necessary. And so those parts of the body that sometimes we might look on, and they're maybe not working very well. Maybe they've got injured. Do we just say, well, we don't need them. They're not part of the body. You know you wouldn't do that. If your body is injured, the rest of the parts of the body work overtime to try and compensate for the part that is not working and that is not able. Why? With a view to its restoration. Brethren and sisters, is that what we're doing? When a man is overtaken in a fault, restore one to such uh, uh, one. Uh, restore one to oneself. And let him that standeth take heed lest he fall. Oh, brethren and sisters, the members are all so valuable, necessary. And when one member suffers, he says, "I love this. All the members suffer with it. The pain." the sorrows, the joys of the assembly. Every member is necessary. And as I finish, 
Nowhere in Scripture, according to this illustration, do we have any grounds for a one-man ministry, for one member being given all the power, all the authority, and all the ability to do everything. It doesn't work when it comes to the body. Neither is there any man ministry where anybody can do anything and everything. No, each part of the body has been given a function. May we be before God, honestly, and with a desire to please him and to do his will. For, says the apostle, as he closes this chapter, now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Discovery of a gift, diversity and development. May God help us as we continue in testimony. Shall we pray?